quite sure what the Lord's doing this morning. I feel like he's laid a couple of things in my heart. And, um, and I feel like I'm supposed to tell a story. And then, Brad, I'm, where did Brad go? I'm kind of wondering if this is actually, I want to, like, push off if I can actually absorb into next week, too. Um, if we can do a bump bump on things, because I think part of what the Lord laid on my heart is actually going to become like a two-part thing. Is that okay? That way we have time to do something and to worship. Okay. So what I'd like to do is like, if y'all want to like sit like 15, 20 minutes and then we'll start, but I want us to, if y'all can lead us through some stuff, but have a break so you guys can sit down and deep breath, drink your water. Is that good? Awesome. You guys are amazing. Your hair looks rocking awesome too. I know. Guys, I don't know if you guys know, if y'all have a chance, I just, I love our body so much. And I want you all to get to know each other so you know stories so well. So of like the evolution of what God is doing to the worship team and the leadership team. And, and we get to know these stories by like rubbing up against each other and spending time together, right? And so can we pop back up the, the thing for Wednesday night really fast? Um, Living like family, learning to keep your love on. I um, have never read the book. I'm supposed to pick up a book today from Jackie, who mysteriously just disappeared. Um, and But when we first started the church and started praying over King's Church, the Lord said, like, one really simple thing, said, like, uh, build a family first and then an army. Like, first build a family, then build an army. And so our first, about a year, which included time pre-actually launching the church where we had Fridays at the farm and we just, things were at our house all the time because that was where we were. And so we did that and it was just like this intentional digging in. And then we moved into an intentional digging in of here. And you know, I mean, it's been hard. Nobody needs to lie about that. We've all been in a hard season. And it's interesting that in the last, I would say year, there were some things that happened in my own life where I laid down things before the Lord, not in any healthy Ebenezer way, but in a sense of like, this is taking way longer and way harder, and I'm bleeding way more for this than I anticipated. And you spoke to my heart, Lord, and you said, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And I just started jogging. And our culture has gone through a type of whiplash where I think as a culture, we don't know what family means anymore. And I don't just mean the church, I mean the actual family. We see families who will not see each other we see families who will not speak to one another. And I'm not politicizing. I'm not making a statement. I'm saying there is something going on in our world that we are over-focusing on in one area and blinded by on another area. And I don't think we can love like family or live like family if we're living in fear. This is not a COVID talk. This is a heart talk, y'all. This is not fear over COVID. This is fear over everything. If I have built the base of my 
sacrificed to the Lord, and that base has fear in it, the rest is unstable. And our churches and our families have been shaken, and I've been shaken. And so I had nothing to do with branding, naming, booking, anything. We said, okay, Lord, what are we going to do? Let's just pray. And so people had ideas and we said, run. And this was what came up with it. And I have to tell you, I sat between the Lord and I, and I just cried. Because he said, I've not moved on. He said to build a family first and then an army, and I've not moved on. So this is not your pastor begging you to come to small group. That's not how this works. This is saying that if we're going to be obedient to the Lord, we have to spend time with one another. And we have to learn to love one another in a different way than our culture has set up and our world has set up. On the way here, I was double-checking something because I love Voice of the Martyrs. I used to do radio, and when I was in radio, um, I love y'all. Y'all can really sit if you want. You good? Okay. Anyway, um, but when I would do that, we would do Voice of the Martyr, little promos and have stuff kind of pop up. So I got a lot of books and pamphlets and stuff from them over the years when that would come through when I was doing radio. And, and um, so I was reading up this thing that's going around right now, and a friend of mine posted it. And Jeremy had posted this thing, and it said, 52 countries in the world have outlawed the Bible. And I was like, I don't want to share that up on any sort of stage without, you know, looking that up. Like, really? Okay, so out of 195 given countries at this time in 2021, 52 have outlawed the Bible in some sort. That could mean that it's incredibly difficult to get a hold of. It could mean that you have to have licensed churches through the state, and so they're very governed and very, you know, does this make sense? Um, Some of them you have to, like, hide to get it in. Some of them you can't have it at all, or just the oppression is so heavy that the outcome is that the Bible has been. That is 3.75. So 52 goes into 195 like 3.75 times. Does that make sense? So in my little brain, the way I looked at that was like just over a third. Am I all right on this? I mean, I'm really not a math person, so you can correct me on this later. But I was like, that's a really large percentage of the world, which has said this book carries a weight about it that scares, scares our government enough that we are trying to oppress the use of this book in our country. Does that make sense? And I'm sitting here going, we write books. I listened to this great guy, the other guy speak. Y'all can move on from that now if you want to. And it was, he'd written 88 books and he was sharing about them. I mean, they were good. Some of them were like on Catherine Coleman. He, he's done a whole bunch of biographies and like there was one on Catherine Coleman and there's one like 88 books and he can just print them like this. I mean, you go, you can sign up with Amazon and you can self print all day long in America. You can self print your own Bible. I'm sure if you wanted to go through and edit it yourself, you could do that. And yet, when it comes down to it, we are so able to do stuff on our own. As he put it, you may have written a book, but it might be sitting in your garage. What's God doing with your book? And I was wondering a little bit, on my end, on our end, what's God doing with our book? Guys, 
I know the only time in my entire life Megan has been called legalistic is one time. One time. You guys might do it again today. And that was when I suggested at King's Church, and I do not know who said this, so if somebody here said it, please know I have no ill will towards you because nobody told me who said it. I was just given feedback that I was told this, and I kind of actually chuckled and said, well, hot dog, all right then. But when I said that I thought we should bring the written word of God into church, and on a Sunday morning, hold the written word of God with us and carry the written word of God with us around because when I'm sitting at home and I'm holding this open, my daughter knows what I'm reading. She knows what I'm doing. And I have to tell you, actually, she leaves me alone a little bit better too. If I'm holding this, the written word of God can be on here too. And she doesn't know what I'm doing. This is not giving a testimony. This isn't sharing anything with the world around me. Blaze Pizza just sent me a notification, by the way. I get very distracted on this. This focuses my eyes and my heart and my senses because mine is beautiful and it's a really nice leather Bible that y'all gave me a couple years ago. This is the written word of God that is not allowed in 52 countries. And this is what brings us together to be a family. But this is what then equips us to go out to be that army. I don't know what army means outside of this. I don't want to create the definition for myself. So I have a story. And then if it's okay with Brad, I'll, I want to do something. And I want us to just worship some more. And I want to share the rest of what I've had laid on my heart next week, okay? But um, last week, I wasn't here to be with you guys. I was completely brokenhearted about that. I was, I was super sad. Um, I had had this strange thing that kind of came up out of the blue about the 9th of September, um, where my right shoulder started hurting and then it started hurting down my arm and then it started hurting down my fingers so that the first several fingers became, first they felt like pins and needles or fire, like going through my hands and the top of my arm and the, the side. Um, I was swollen like crazy right in here, the back. My back is still actually a little bit swollen, which is a little weird, but the top of my back and the back of my neck going onto this side was so swollen that my clothes would like pull sideways. Like it was very obvious. And Lewis, our sweet Lewis that we love greatly, I was in nursery with him that day. And, uh, and he and Josie were, were helping me. And they said, can we pray over you? Because I couldn't pick up a kid. I mean, I was just like adult body only. <laughs> I could dictate, but I couldn't do much. And it was like hard to breathe through this pain. And, and he said, can I pray over you? And I was like, please. And he put his hand on my shoulder and started to pray. Because I think this is what family does. They see a need we step in and ask if we can help, you know, start to meet that need in the way that we're given freedom to at that time. And he laid his hand on my shoulder. And as he was praying, my shoulder physically moved up in the air and moved back, like to spread my chest. Kind of like if somebody, I don't know if y'all had this, my grandmother did this. She used to come up behind us with her, her thumb and go up your spine. And it makes you like stand up tall. And um, she had great posture. 
And, and so it was like somebody had done that and then like moved my shoulder. And there was this strange movement in the bones in this area. And I don't know what happened. I don't know what that was, but the incredible pain that had kept me from being able to move at all dissipated like that, like in the bones. The muscles and tendons and other stuff around there continued to be inflamed and just throbbing. And so it's been this like month progression of going to physical therapies and different doctors and just saying, Lord, what is going on? Like, I know you touched something here. And in fact, so much so that I had gone and they did a cat or MRI and an x-ray. And I was telling the doctor that I know my shoulder had been out of socket because my, um, chiropractor had actually put it back in socket. He had actually moved it. And that was, um, and then, and, and then they had prayed over it. And I didn't tell him about the prayer part. This man was a little busy and he didn't want my stories. And he looked at me, he said, your shoulder has never been out of socket. I can look at this MRI right here and I can look at the x-ray and I can tell you that there's no evidence that this was, the bone has ever been dislodged at all. It is very tight and everything is holding perfectly like it should. Okay. Like, I mean, at the time, I'm just like, we need to figure out why it's still hurting then, you know? So the death that they came up with tendonitis and bursitis, which I should have just listened to my sweet mother-in-law in the beginning because she told me early on, she's like, I think this is bursitis, but mine never has lasted this long. Well, I think part of it not lasting that long was that I didn't want to isolate it. I didn't want to rest my arm. I really wanted to like do less, but keep going. So I thought I was doing less. So last Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, out of the blue, the pain upped up about 85, 95%. It went from, I can live through this, but it's distracting and hurting, to um, you're not going to be able to do anything else but keep breathing and forget sleeping for about three nights. I would go to sleep and I'd wake up about one or two in the morning and could not get comfortable. I could not lay on my back. I mean, it was just, something was just off. And um, so I missed church last Sunday. I was actually supposed to share with you guys and talk. And there was no way I could, I mean, it was just so painful. So finally, Brad gets home. I miss picnic. I missed everything. Um, I missed lunch together with my family. And Brad gets home and I said, love, I think you're going to have to take me to the emergency room. Like, we need to make sure that this is not like some random infection or something else that's going on. Because at that point, my shoulder had turned bright red, um, color of our King's Church shirts, and was hot to the touch. And I was like, there is something here that is not normal. Like, this is not normal. I cannot cut. I've used everything I can do. I can't. I have nothing else in my arsenal to be able to figure this out. And I kind of think of myself as not the brightest, but not, you know, I like to figure things out. I had done a whole lot of doctor Googling at this point and had not come up with anything helpful. Everything told me I should not be in this much pain, which was not helpful. So I get to the doctor and I was sitting there and I just have to tell you, we went to St. Joseph Jessman, that's just up the road from Wilmore. We walk in and I don't know, it was just God's grace on that building that day. Sunday afternoon was super quiet. Can't always say it's that way, but it was super quiet. And this doctor came in and he said, I wanna bring in a friend of mine, another doctor. And this older gentleman came in with soft white hair and a white beard and this, I mean, it was like a little miniature Santa Claus. And he was just so gentle, like so gentle. And he didn't look at me and try to say I was crazy. He didn't do any of those things. He said, we have to stop this cycle of pain. 
This has become a cycle that's going on here that you're not able to break. And so you're not resting and your body is basically like wigging out. Like it's making it worse because you're not able to just break the cycle. And I think I came very close to breaking down and crying at that point. It would be kind of akin to in labor when they finally came in and they were like, okay, it's time to push. This will be gone, done soon. Does that make sense? Like there was this release of like, somebody hears me and we can almost be through. It was like transition. Like we were about to make it through like just a little bit longer. And he was like, I think I actually need to give you medication. I don't want to say too much here because in the past I've been told that you're not supposed to get heavy types of medication from an ER, but I suppose when you're sitting there and they can authentically tell that you are in pain and swollen and they can pull out stuff that they might not normally pull out. So they pulled out a few things and said, can we help you here? And I said, yes, please. And the pain went down. And they said, okay, follow up, keep this going for a couple days. And I actually only needed about one day of heavier pain meds. I do not like taking things that make me a little. I am very much in control of myself, I think. I want to be. I'm not saying I am, I want to be. So I, um, but I just rested. And then they gave me a sling, which I brought in and forgotten, left it over there. They gave me a sling and they said, here's the thing with shoulder injuries. We don't like to use slings anymore because it doesn't take very long for that shoulder to really kind of lock up. And we don't want that to happen. But you need to give this rest. You need to rest this. And I'm like, the Lord's been speaking to me about rest. This is rest. The doctor comes in and says, we want you to wear this sling and take this medication and we want you to rest. And I want you to spend about four hours a day icing your shoulder, four hours a day. I mean, y'all, that's half a work day. I was like, I have kids and like kids, right? And he was like, this is important. I need you to do this. So I take the sling, take the meds, and I start four hours a day. And can I tell you what? It worked. I mean, it worked. Like pain just dropped off the face of the earth. I mean, it was crazy. And, and really, when it starts hurting again is when I blow dry my hair, which he said, don't raise your hand over your shoulder for a given period of time. You really need to let it rest. Do your physical therapy. This has to heal, but it's just, it's a, it's an injury of overuse, not an injury of weakness. You need to let this rest. I felt like he could have been like Jesus standing in the room telling me this. You can run the race as hard as you want. You can think you're doing all the right things. You can overuse by, by running and running and running and doing and doing and doing. But when I'm calling you to sit and to rest, it's not gonna do you any good. You're not gonna find the fulfillment you're seeking by keep pushing it when you just need to sit still some. So that's what the Lord was speaking to me about this last week of listening and saying there are cycles of hopelessness in our culture that are going on. And last weekend, I found myself in a cycle of hopelessness over this pain. I really didn't think going to the ER would really do much unless they could make sure and tell me that I didn't have some crazy inflammation that had gone into an infection in the bursa and leading to other bad things. Like that was my whole goal. Just tell me it's not infected because I didn't think they would do anything else for me. And, and yet in this cycle, it could get broken but I had to be obedient in that. I had to give up my power, so to speak, of saying, I can heal this myself, I can push through, and I had to stand back. And I have to tell you, I wish I could say this is the first time the Lord's actually spoken this exact thing to me. 
and it's not. It's not. I can think of several times in my life where the Lord took me somewhere with a knee surgery and a pregnancy where I couldn't walk most of the pregnancy and spoke words of rest over me. And he said, will you dare to rest and be a resting place for my spirit so I can speak to you so that when I get you up again, you're ready to speak to others, that you're ready to share. So last week, I sat a lot. I sat around, and I just prayed. And I was thinking about cycles, cycles in our country, cycles in our world, things that we're going through. Cycles of pain, I think, help us to lose perspective. Things seem bigger, and things seem smaller. Does that make sense? Like, I, one of the things I noticed is, is was we started going again, and we started talking about having a small group is that anything we've done recently, the percentage of people that participate is smaller than it used to be. And this is not anything about you guys, I promise. This is about me. That I look at stuff and I think, ooh, do I really need to do that right now? Is there time for me to do that right now? Should I do this right now? And I'm not saying that we're checking off and checking how many people are there. That's not the point. But the point is being that if we're called to be a family, there's time that we have to spend together to be a family. We have to actually rub shoulders to be. And I remember in the last year, the first Christmas of 2020, do you guys remember seeing the videos that people were posting of like trying to like kiss through sheets of plastic with their grandparents? Do y'all remember that? like hugging and they literally hung up and like, you know, they're trying to get there. Do you remember, have you looked up the statistics of depression and death on older people in this last season? There's something that happens to our hearts when we are removed from our family that does not equal health and wholeness. It doesn't matter how much you've protected your body if your spirit is dying, right? And, and so the, again, this is not a COVID thing. This to me is something that I'm seeing in the world happening. When 52 countries, the world say, we don't need the word of the living God in this country. We are better off without that random Jewish book here. And so many of us, I think we kind of think we own it. You know what I mean? A little bit like, oh, it's the American Bible. Like y'all know it's not, right? And, and so when we say we don't need the Bible in just over a third of our world, and we have people that are dying on a regular basis, and I'm watching pictures of people pl- kissing through plastic and dying out of depression and loneliness, and the suicide rates are going up, and I'm thinking, how can we step into a culture and make any difference if we're dying inside ourselves? if we haven't learned how to really rest in this season of stepping away. Because that's what the world told us. Take this time, take this season of COVID and rest, right? Enjoy it. And all the funny pictures are not so funny pictures of men and women in like boxer shorts or pajama bottoms. And then they have like their professional looking on top and they're like working from here up, right? Like you can do everything, you can keep going, while you rest and do less. And I would say as a culture, this has not been a successful experiment. 
That's what I would say. As a teacher, has it been a successful experiment in the classrooms that you've been subbing? I hear that our third graders are coming in this year with less, less abilities than the first graders from two years ago, and they're in third graders. Many of my teachers are just brokenhearted, saying our kids don't know what to do in school. They don't know what to do. I had this really heartbreaking story where one of my friends shared that um, they took the third graders into the cafeteria for the first time and said, all right, lunchtime, go for it. And the kids picked up a tray and stood there. And they didn't know what to do. These are third graders. By third grade, you're the king of the elementary school, right? Kings and queens, top of the hill. You know what to do. You go get that tray and you march your way through line and you're telling everybody what to do and it kind of shows everybody else what to do. These kids had never been in a cafeteria because the last two years of school, they were isolated in classrooms or at home where the food was brought to them and they were told, this is where you sit, this is where you eat, let me hand it to you. And they had no self-sufficiency. They had not known how to do this. So there's things that our culture is, it's like little things that are just breaking. Does that make sense? And I want us to step away a little bit and to be a place where we look at this and say, we can't control any of that. We can't, we're not meant to. We can control one thing, one thing. The cycles that we participate in, I think can be broken when we control this one thing, fear. And I'm not, again, this is not fear of COVID, guys. This is fear anywhere in my life. When I lay fear down, when I lay self-sufficiency down and pick up belief that God has not failed me yet and he will continue to lead me and that's my basis for what I'm doing my life on and that's where I start to make my decision is in, then I believe we will shift things around and start to walk differently. Because, guys, we are meant to look different in our culture and not because we do or do not mask. That's not what I'm talking about. We are meant to be different in our culture because what comes out of our heart? Where is our sense of peace? Where is our sense of patience? Where is my sense of patience when that person cuts me off on the highway? Where does that rootedness come from? And if I'm struggling in that area, what a better place to come and seek and find the Lord than to do it together, where we're fighting together, we're walking together, we're being vulnerable together. So I was excited when we said, we're going to start our first set of small groups. And really our small group is one small group. And then we all split up into different groups. I love it. I'm like, I think that's actually quite perfect, by the way. Because the Lord didn't say, do everything. He said, do the thing I'm calling you to do. Do the one thing. What's the one thing? Love the person in front of you. Do this well. Do this well. And so, so I just had this feeling this week that we've been in a cycle as a culture, one that probably has affected our church, a cycle as their church even, cycle and my own life, that I can choose to step out of it and gain back perspective. And I saw three ways, and then I want us to do something. What time is it? Yep, three ways. One is intercession gives perspective. Intercession gives perspective. I gave you guys rocks. Most of them had names. Hold your hand up if you had a name on your rock. Was there a name? Okay. That was written by a very real person at some very real time in the past. Mine says Becky. 
Becky, I prayed for you today. I don't know who you are. The person may or may not be alive on this earth. They're alive in eternity, we pray. But intercession gives perspective. When we step in and take on somebody's pain and somebody's heartache and somebody's joy with them, ours, I think, becomes balanced somewhat. Does that make sense? If it doesn't make sense, then at any given point, possibly you should volunteer somewhere, you know, where people are really hurting. Right now, our homeless shelter got shut down again where we do the meals once a month. So we can't go and love on those people right now. But when we step into somebody else's pain, it gives perspective to our own. The funny part is most of the time when we're in our own pain, we wanna just like clam up and move in, right? That's called depression, isolation. (laughs) There's a whole cycle that goes along with that. It's called not having mental health. So intercession gives perspective when we step outside ourselves. So I want you to remember whose name was on that rock whose name was on that rock. Also, fasting gives perspective. I think that it gives us a perspective of in a way that most other things don't. So we love to talk about fasting as a church. So we fasted in March. And I have a feeling, I don't know, but I'm wondering if the Lord will take us into another fasting season. Um, Historically, the church often fasted two days a week. That was very common in the historical church model. So there was like a Tuesday and a Thursday, and people would fast those days together. And it wasn't always said, you didn't always say, oh, I'm fasting, but you knew your church body, the church leaders, the elders, and the people in the church were fasting those two days a week together. Does that make sense? Sometimes we don't always have to be together physically to have kind of this like, oh, we're doing this, we're walking through this together. So I don't have to look at you and be like, are you fasting today? But sometimes it's helpful if we have a fasting partner or we have an intercession partner, or we have a prayer partner. Historically, that's what we did in our, in our prayer room is that we would have prayer partners one another so that we knew that we were praying together. It just boosts us up. But fasting is such an important tool. And I have to tell you that since March, I love fasting and I don't think I've done it regularly at all since then. I've been tired. It's been a tiring season. And then my last thought was that community speaks to investment and helps us to retain perspective. It is helpful for me when my friends look at me and say, oh, Meg, that's not really you. Probably better than when they look at me and be like, oh, my word, what's wrong with her behind my back? But a good friend that would come to me like, Meg, you just don't sound like yourself here. We don't know each other well enough to speak into each other if we haven't really built community, to build the family, to build the family. And that is what a church is supposed to be. I have to say on the way here, I don't wanna say too much because I don't know them. I've been praying for two years. There's a church near us that not one time on a Sunday morning have I ever seen a car in the parking lot or a light on in the, in the church. Not one in time in two years on a Sunday. I don't know what's going on in that church. Possibly, I should check it out and ask. Probably. But what I do know is that church is sitting empty on a Sunday morning regularly. And I, and I wonder, where are the people that used to go? I mean, you see things like the, the trees and the shrubs are still taken care of. I'm actually not sure. It's a little bit like the elf and the shoemaker because it's like still really well taken care of, but I never see humans there. And I, I'm just wondering like, 
Where's their family? Are they okay? What's going on there? And, and I think to myself here that throughout a given week, I'm so blessed to be able to be up here at times um, throughout the week because I see Growth Point come in at one o'clock. And guys, that's not part of our intimate family here, but that's part of our body of Christ, right? And what we do here when you guys pick up your cups and your stuff and when we leave, we are preparing the service for them at one o'clock. And on Saturday night, another church comes in. And I have to tell you, there are times where I'm sitting over in some of the offices and I've looked out or I've been in the atrium and I watch families that are coming in for counseling and moving upstairs and, and they're going up there. And I know I've shared this before, but it's one of the most beautiful things to me because, you know, there's a protection sort of sense there because they're going for privacy. But I recognize sometimes some of the families and I know some of their adoption stories and I know some of that and I sit there and just thank you Jesus for this building thank you Lord that the provision was provided for thank you for their occupational therapists thank you for their mental health therapists thank you that you have moved families in this Kentucky area to adopt from all around the world and this place specializes and loving them well. That's what they do right there. And I love coming in because our family is part of the CC groups on Thursday, the school, and, and seeing those children run in and just feel at home in our building. And I love that. And I love that the Lord is waking us up and he's calling us back to loving our family well again too. That the cycle that we've been in, we can now say, all right, it's time to step out. I'm going to lay down fear. I'm going to lay down my past. I'm going to lay down the other stuff. And I'm going to commit to my family. I'm going to commit for my family because sometimes that equals sacrifice to commit for my family to be somewhere. And I'm so thankful those of you that are coming on, on Wednesday nights with your kids and with your families because it is, it's another thing during the week. But we commit and we lay that together and we build something new. So we just started this last week. I say all that, if you want to come, there's still space. Can we still come, Katie? Can we have people, okay, that didn't come this last time, can they come this week and still slip in? Awesome. But I'm saying this, that there's something that I want us to be intentional about in our Ebenezer. Do you guys remember that? It's like the Lord has not let me down yet, right? With your rock, your Ebenezer rock, I want our foundation to be he hasn't let us down. The hard stuff that we've walked through, he's not let us down. He hasn't. The names that are in this bucket, wherever they are, spread around the world, spread around the city, spread around, I don't know where these people are. The Lord has not let us down. He's asking us to step in and change the cycle and participate with him in saying no. No to fear. No to the fear that the Lord has let me down. No to the fear that I can't walk in gratitude. No to the fear that I need to manipulate something into being on my own because when I manipulate it into being on my own, I lose hope because then I am reliant on myself. And that's my big thought this morning as I want to step out of the cycle of hopelessness and I want us to do that as a body and start something different intentionally. It's what we started with 
And I think we've all just been swept up. It's not that I'm saying we've done something horrible, but we've been swept up with the world because the world is the world and it's our culture too, right? But we are supposed to look different. So there are times we stand up and say, I'm going to look different now. I've decided this. I'm not going to run around like a chicken with my head cut off. I'm going to walk purposefully through this. I'm going to do it differently. And that's where Betsy wrote me. Oh, I got a dear friend. <laughs> a dear friend right now just texted me from Spring Community Church. That's our church plant that we planted in Mississippi. And apparently at this exact moment, they're actually sharing a story about us. And when the Lord changed a cult, something in our lives by healing and saving my life, which is really sort of funny that I'm talking about the times the Lord's had me step out of things. I, we had a, 20 seconds there, but we had a, a house fire in January of 2001. And most of my hand was burned to such an extent that the tendons and, and stuff were really all that was left intact. Um, but all the, most of the muscle and all the skin was, was destroyed off of my right hand. And, and through some series of blunders, which seemed like blunders at the time, I didn't get the right antibiotics because I'm allergic to sulfa drugs. And they decided those would be good. So then they stopped them and kind of caused this whole thing. I ended up almost dying from blood poisoning, hence my worry a little bit on my left shoulder. <laughs> anyway, and I almost died, but the Lord saved me from dying. I did not die, and then he healed my hand, and I didn't have to have skin graft surgery, and I didn't have to have somebody come in and, and rebuild any part of that. He allowed it to rebuild, but I have to tell you, he did it on his own timing. Instead of popping out skin all over my hand, he allowed about um, two or three nickel and quarter sized bits of skin to suddenly appear overnight, enough that my skin graft doctor the next day at surgery said, hey, we don't need to do surgery, but it's going to take time to grow back. And it gave me a year to not play sports and to not be able to run and to wear a uh, compression glove and keep my hand above my heart as that skin grew back and became strong. He didn't heal it like this. He said, it's in my timing. I'm going to heal it. Apparently, they're sharing that story right now at church down there. It was a beautiful thing. At the time, it didn't feel very beautiful, y'all. And I didn't feel like I walked it all that beautifully either. There's probably a lot of complaining and heartache. But I can look back now and say, the Lord didn't fail me then. And he's not failing me now. And this, this was Betsy's word to us this morning. I will fight fire with fire. Oh, it's ironic. <laughs> I saw the Ebenezer lit. The rock that had been held up became the basis to an altar for sacrifice to be put on top. I saw the Ebenezer lit and the smoke arising as incense to the throne. It was burning bright. I heard this. Anyone or everyone who comes forward this morning to cast cares, concerns, needs of any kind on this fire will have everything and anything consumed and come up before me as an incense offering. This is the fire that he lit. You can't light your own fire, y'all. We can't work it enough. I couldn't heal my hand. I couldn't stop the cycle of pain on my shoulder. How odd, isn't it, that they're talking about it right now? I don't know. Go, God. 
But what I'm saying is the cycles that you guys are experiencing in your life and the cycles that we've experienced in church life in our past or church life currently, there's one way that we can step that out and break it is saying that Ebenezer will be my base. He hasn't failed me. I'm going to lay everything else on top of it, and I'm going to allow that to be lit up in smoke as an incense offering to him. My frustrations, my cares, my insecurities, my fears. So I went longer than I meant to. That's why I didn't do like half the sermon because I knew that that would be next week about manipulating because we can't do this on our own, y'all. We can't. So here's what I want us to do. I want us to sing and I'd like you guys to bring your Ebenezer's back down here. Grab several more rocks. I don't know, symbolically. Maybe you want to get very specific and you're going to get five. I'm not sure. Maybe you'll get three. But I want your Ebenezer somewhere along here on either way. Set your Ebenezer down. And I want you to build a little memorial stone place, an altar for yourself. And I want you to lay on that your worries, your cares, your frustrations, your needs. Health, family, physical, mental, emotional, busyness. Whatever it is, I don't know. Lay it down on top of that throne of saying, an altar, I mean, of saying, he hasn't let me down yet. He's not going to do it today. He's not going to start today letting you down. And what you pick up from that as you walk away is this freedom in the Lord saying, you're in the driver's seat. You're leading me through this. And as a body, we walk forward saying, we're not going to make it happen on our own. We're going to be faithful to the thing, the one thing he's calling us right now. And as a body, our one thing is a small group on Wednesday night. That's the one thing right now. Maybe there'll be another one thing when we are able to reopen up our prayer room or other stuff like that. Does that make sense? But choose the one thing. What is the Lord asking you to do the one thing right now? All right. That's all. Pray with me, and then if you guys would do that, just symbolically step out and walk it out. Really don't care how our hearts feel about it right now. I feel like it's just an obedience matter with the Lord, his idea, not mine. Father, we ask that you would remove manipulation, doubt, self-will, egotistical (laughs) fears, or anything else. Just remove it from the room. Lord, we ask that your wind, that you would blow through, that you would speak to your people, that you would remind us of the places that you created an altar and asked us to lay ourselves and our lives and our families and our cares and our fears upon it, that you would remove that away, that when we step away, we're not stepping away in fear of COVID, we're stepping away in fear of not following the living Lord. It has nothing to do with an illness around the world. It has everything to do with a small moment-by-moment step of my heart with you. Lord, who do you want me to speak to? Who do you want me to, to not feel like I need to avoid ever again? Lord, if somebody comes up in my heart and I want to avoid them, Lord, I want to do the opposite and run to them. Lord, I want to be a bold person made bolder by you. I want to look shame in its face and say, get behind me, Satan. And I want to say yes to running forward in life and in freedom with you, Lord. We love you. Amen.